Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome you this morning. Great to have you here with us, and uh, welcome back to our series, Tis the Season. Um, it's also the season for allergies and congestion and coughs and colds, and anybody else nursing anything here this morning? Anything? Runny nose? Anything like that? Well, I'm nursing my hot tea this morning from Starbucks, so uh, trying to uh, deal with a little bit of congestion here this morning. O- overall doing well, but my voice will be stewarded here this morning in our service. We want to welcome you back. What a great time of the year to be here to celebrate all that God is doing in this uh, series called Tis the Season. And um, we're actually talking in this series about putting the holy back in the holidays. Now that word holiday originally came from two words meaning holy day. And in the Bible, that word holy is most often used for things that are sacred or special that have been set aside for God. So in the beginning, holidays were holy days, set aside for God, set aside so that we could honor Him, that we could respect Him, that we could uh, make sure that we are acknowledging Him in the midst of that experience. But somewhere along the way, the holy was stripped out of the holidays. And what we were left with is a shell of what the original intent and meaning of holidays were. So in this series, what we're talking about here at Grace Crossing Church is how we can put intentionally the holy back in the holidays. Now, we began this last weekend, or two weekends ago, when I launched this series by talking about slowing down. That if we're going to put the holy back in the holidays, one of the things we must intentionally do is we must intentionally slow down. Now, I know that as the holidays draw near, especially Christmas, the pace doesn't slow down. The pace picks up. Like a car that's parked in neutral on a steep incline, the roll actually goes faster and faster the more that we move toward Christmas. So what do we have to do? We have to grab the emergency brake of our life, And we have to ever slowly, intentionally pull on that brake so that we can slow the pace so that we can actually acknowledge God in the midst of the holidays. By the way, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. This is not the language that the world talks about at the holidays. But it is the language of the Bible. And it's where we often meet God is in the slower pace of life. In this accelerated pace that we live in in our world today, more than we've ever seen, the rush of the holidays somehow strip the sacred out of them. And so we've got to intentionally put them back and do that by slowing down. But there's a second thing I want to talk about this morning. And a second idea in this uh, putting the holy back in the holidays that we're going to unpack this morning together. 
And here it is. To put the holy back in the holidays, look for God in the waiting. Look for God in the waiting. Now, it's interesting to me that the church calendar actually begins with waiting. Did you actually know that? Did you know there's a church calendar? And it's different from our calendar that we often follow. The church calendar, actually, which is recognized by Christians all over the world, it's often referred to as the liturgical calendar, is a calendar that actually begins right after Thanksgiving, on or around the 30th of November, and travels and guides us all the way to Christmas Eve. It is a period or a season that Nate referred to this morning that's called Advent. Now, depending on your background, you probably have heard that term Advent, but do you actually know what it means? Advent literally means coming or arrival. The Christmas season and the church calendar that has been historically honored begins with a period and a season of waiting. Christmas is all about a hopeful anticipation, an expectation. It is about making preparation and about waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ and ultimately the second coming of Christ, which Jesus himself promised when he walked this earth. So this period that we're moving into is a period that's all about this idea of waiting. Christmas time has all sorts of opportunities for waiting for us, doesn't it? We order our packages, and then we wait for Amazon to deliver them, unless you have Amazon Prime and you don't wait as long, okay? Teachers are waiting for their first snow day, all right? Right? They're waiting. Right? This is a period, if you have a job, you're probably waiting for that bonus, annual bonus, or maybe for an increase in your pay. For many of us, we're waiting for that sought-after holiday party that we're going to go to, or family to arrive for the holidays. We're all going to wait at some point for our presents, and we're going to have to wait to open those presents. Reality is, Christmas time is a season that's all about waiting. And spiritually speaking, it is exactly the same. We, well, here, moment of truth this morning. How many of you with me and like me are rushaholics? Can I see your hand? If you are a rushaholic, well, I don't know where I learned this in my life. I don't think anybody ever taught me it. But man, am I good at it. I'm really, really good at rushing. And I don't do it because I have to. I do it because somehow it is instinctively built in to me. I rush in my car. I rush when I'm on a walk. I rush in my work. I can even rush my spiritual formation. Because I somehow am in a pattern of thinking in my life that I've, I've had to wrestle with all of my life, and that wrestling is this temptation to rush. So how about you? How do you do with waiting? 
How well do you do when you are asked to wait? Truth is, most of us don't like it. Not one bit. Most of us see waiting as a burden to be tolerated rather than a gift to be cherished. And as I think of this season, I can't think of a more apt description of this season than hurry up and wait. I mean, don't we do that? We rush because we want to get to the holidays, and then we want to rush the holidays. We hurry up and rush. So yesterday, I did the unthinkable. I went with my wife to the mall, to a store that was having a once-a-year special sale and we wanted to take advantage of. When I got to the store, the line in the store of the mall to check out was out the door and wrapped out the door of that particular store and down the hallway, and I could not believe it. And, 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 and immediately I thought, Am I really willing to do this? To go in there and shop and then get in this line where the lady who was serving uh, in the store kept saying, oh, it's only about a 20 to 25-minute wait. That's like an eternity for me. And I had a moment of truth. Because God brought to my mind that I was going to be speaking about this this morning. And I thought, how in the world am I going to have integrity if I don't get in that line and wait? (laughs) So I did it. (laughs) But I struggled. (laughs) Because so many of us don't see waiting as a gift. We don't see it as something that is to be cherished. Now here's the big idea for this morning. It's counterintuitive and it's countercultural. Here's the big idea. When tempted to rush the holidays, relax and rest instead. That's good advice for me this morning. When tempted to rush the holidays, relax and rest instead. So if we think that waiting is difficult, Let me give you this verse from the psalmist, Psalm 37, verse number 7. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him to act. Don't be envious of evil men who prosper. Waiting is hard enough. Waiting patiently is worse than getting a root canal, right? Like who wants to patiently wait? But that's actually all through Scripture that we're called to. Patience is not just waiting. Patience is our behavior while we wait. We can wait impatiently, or we can learn to practice patiently waiting on the Lord. And I in my life and we here at Grace Crossing Church have actually had some practice at this. We've had to practice waiting patiently. Back in 2003, 
Um, we had a building that was a large industrial building. We as a church were $2 million in debt, a church that I had come to pastor. I inherited that. And in 2003, we made a really bold decision. We were going to sell all and follow Jesus and start over. And we put our building on the market in 2003, and then we waited patiently. In fact, for two years, we waited without getting even a single offer on that building. Can you imagine pastoring a church, building a congregation with a for sale sign out in the front? That's what we were doing. And for two years, we patiently waited. In 2006, after our building finally sold, we replanted, re-engineered, and re-established our church on the campus of Wright State University where we met for the next four years. But in 2006, we actually, by the grace of God, were able to buy this 12 acres of property that we're on right now. And for the next three and a half years, we waited patiently. It was not the time for us to build. God had not given us the favor we needed to do this. And we knew that we were in a holding pattern that was going to require us either to wait impatiently or to wait patiently. And we chose the latter. 2012, we were given another opportunity to practice waiting patiently. In 2012, we brought to this congregation the idea of expanding our facility. And we began to move forward with the plans. We were planning to do it with further indebtedness. And when our appraisal came back, our appraisal was nearly half of its original value. And it put the brakes on that decision. And looking back, it was one of the most tremendous gifts that God could have ever given us. I didn't see it at the time. I didn't know it at the time. But over the last six years, what we have learned and what we have experienced is to wait patiently on the Lord. And this past fall, we actually brought this vision back to our congregation with actually a new holy ambition and anticipation that God was about ready to do something significant here through our congregation. And for six years, we waited patiently to bring that vision back to this church. Now, I'm convinced, in looking back in hindsight, that it was the right vision. It was the wrong time. It was a guild timing, not a God timing. We are now sensing it is God's timing. But here's the reality. We announced several weeks ago our total at our celebration Sunday of our goal of $3.2 million. We are right now at $2.6 million. We've had a few pledges and commitments that have come in since then, but, but here's the reality. We have a $600,000 gap right now that we're going to trust God for. And for the next two years, this congregation has the opportunity to do something really, really special together. We get actually the opportunity to link arms 
to partner together to do something special for this community. But it's going to require that we be willing, at least for some season, to wait. Our board is still praying into this. Our board is still discerning what is God saying to us because here's what I challenge them with and I would challenge us with today. What is God saying to us in the gap? Because there's always a message God wants to speak to us and we've got to discern what is the message that the Lord is saying to us. What what is he trying to speak? What does he want us to hear? So here's my prayer this holiday season for me, for you. And I would let, I would encourage you to invite God into this prayer for you this holiday season. Here it is. Lord, help me to wait well. It's a good prayer for all of us. Help me to wait well. Well, how do we do this? How can we actually, when tempted to rush, How can we relax and rest instead? I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning that I would just encourage you to take note of and bring God into in this area of waiting patiently for the Lord. Here's the first one. Make room for God. In this holiday season, make room for God. The Christmas narrative includes this text from Luke's Gospel. Chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all of the inhabited earth. Verse number 3 through verse 7. Everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. When they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, when you read in the narrative of the Gospels about an inn, don't think hotel, think Airbnb. In those days in Bethlehem, there were no commercialized hotels or places that you could reserve a room. But what nearly every homeowner did have, at least some of the wealthier ones, is they had a guest area, usually in the upper part of their home. So many times people, when they traveled through a particular region, they would connect often with family members, with relatives, where they would end up putting them up for a night or two. Mary and Joseph are traveling to Bethlehem, and the Bible says there is no room in likely the inn or the guest quarters of any of their relatives. But there was somebody 
in that area. There, there is a particular individual in the narrative of the Christmas story that we often think very little about. He has no name recognition. He's never mentioned again in any of the texts of Scripture beyond this passing reference in the gospel narrative. And yet I would submit to you, he plays one of the most pivotal places and roles in the Christmas story. It is the person who actually opened up an all-purpose room which, which served during the day as a workshop, but at night would be a place where the animals would be brought in. So when you hear this word, manger, don't think of a barn as we think of it in our contemporary setting. Rather, think of it as a place that was cut out, often in the bedrock. It was a feeding trough for animals. may have looked something similar to this. And in that particular area, when you look at the manger, let's put that picture up, there would be a spot cut out of the bedrock. A spot that would be a feeding trough and maybe have had something else where people could sit to rest during their day of work. This is the place where Jesus Christ is born and laid to rest. It's not a padded, comfortable mattress. We often think of, when we think of a manger, even all this beautiful hay that's covering it. Likely, that may not have even been the case. Mary takes something that is less than convenient, and she turns it into a sacred place for the Savior of the world. But I don't want you to miss the faceless individual, the nameless individual in the narrative. It's the person who made room for the Son of God. Somebody gave the manger, the space, for Mary to give birth. And let me ask this morning, what is it that prevents us from making room for God? Now, I know at the holidays it's our crowded schedules, right? And we can use our crowded schedules as a reason. For some of us, it's just the sheer busyness of life. It keeps us from making room. But I think if we're honest, many of us would have to admit it's just simply it, we lack the priority of making room. We don't really see the value of carving space in our lives and making room for God. And I know for me, with what I do with my life, like a person who serves pizza in a pizza shop, somehow pizza starts to lose its taste. I've got to be ever so careful that I do not relegate God's word and God's presence to what I do as a pastor. I must always remember that God loves me and wants relationship with me as an individual. And that matters more than anything else that I do. And I recognize in my own life, if I do not intentionally make room for God in my life, listen, it 
simply will not happen. So later this week, I'm traveling to a place for two days called Innkeeper Ministries. It's a place actually that's dedicated for pastors and missionaries and Christian workers to give them a sacred space to go, to get away, to just be able to reflect and recalibrate their hearts and find God's presence in silence and stillness. I did it last year at this time of year. And it led me into this season of Advent with the right mindset and the right heart as I was preparing myself for the season. Listen, there is a promise that's made to us in the Christmas narrative that I don't want you to miss this Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Please do not let this verse and the significant meaning and invitation of this verse slip by unnoticed this Christmas season. God wants to be with me. Can you imagine that? Just stop for a moment this morning and let that settle in your mind and your heart. Let that permeate you. Let that fill your soul with hope today. The God who created heaven and earth desires to be with you. Do we desire to be with him? Do we return that same desire that God has for us, that he wants to be God with me. So my question is, what are you going to do this holiday to prepare yourself for it? Because here's what I've learned. If I don't prepare for it, it will not happen. If I do not intentionally make the room for God in my holiday, God will be left on the outside in his own holiday. So we got to make room. Here's the second thing that I would encourage us to do if we're going to look for God in the waiting. Practice periodic pauses throughout your day. Practice periodic pauses throughout your day. Now, there's a, a verse of Scripture that comes when God strips the kingdom from Saul, the first king of Israel, and he now entrusts it and charges it to David. And here's the word from Samuel that comes to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's a verse that many of us will be familiar with. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. There's one word in this verse that I don't know that I ever saw before that I want to double-click on here this morning. It's the word heed. It is not a common word in our English language. We often don't even use this word heed any longer. 
But in the Hebrew, it is a term and a word that is chocked full of spiritual significance and meaning. One of the ways that you can define the word heed is it means to pay close attention. To pay close attention. So, so here's actually what this verse is suggesting. Listen to this. This verse is suggesting this. To pay attention to God is of more spiritual significance than making sacrifices for God. Our paying attention to God is more important than us making sacrifices for God. God wants us to actually pause long enough to listen for Him and to look for Him throughout our day. Do not fall into the trap of believing that God is confined to the four walls of a church building. If you do that, it is a huge mistake of understanding of what Scripture teaches. You and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us, which means wherever we go, God is there with us. And God is constantly wanting to come toward us. He, he's wanting to get our attention. The question is, are we paying attention to how God is coming to us? During this past year, I've been meeting once a month with a spiritual director. Somebody who actually is way further down the road than I am. In this idea of a life of walking with God. He's an elder statesman that has been an incredible gift to me in my life of learning how to better pay attention to how God is coming to me. And it's something that we identified in our very first time together, and it's been the theme that has carried throughout this year. Learning to pay attention. If we're going to put the holy back in the holidays, we got to look for God and we got to listen for what God is saying to us. But there's another idea of this word, heed, that's equally significant. It means to pay particular notice. To pay particular notice. So for me, the way that I have learned that God is speaking to me over these last number of years of my life is that God often comes toward me and wants to speak to me through my emotions. And my emotions are telling me an important story about what God is saying. The ancients called this consolations and desolations. Things where you can sense the presence of God moving in you and areas where you feel your life, the life of God is being snuffed out. So for me, that is required that I take time throughout my day to do examinations to try to experience where God is coming toward me through the experiences and through the emotions of my life. Now, in our world today, we are encouraged, people are often encouraged to do regular physical examinations. Why? So that they can early have early detection of disease. 
What is good for us physically is equally good for us spiritually and emotionally. Where is God wanting to move towards you? In some of your own dis-ease this Christmas. Where are you experiencing dis-ease, anxieties, tensions, things that are actually wanting to pull you away from God rather than drive you toward him? I have learned that for me, I've got to have regular stops along the way in my life and in my day where I can just simply pay attention. Notice where God is. Notice how God is coming toward me. Which brings us to one final thought. This is an important one. I think making room to start our day is significant. I find that if I don't do it, my entire day suffers. And I find that through my day, I've got to stop periodically to look for God, to pay close attention, and to have particular notice to where God is moving toward me. But here's this final one. Reflect so that you can rest. Reflect so that you can rest. I shared this at our members meeting a couple of weeks ago. But I want to share it with you this morning. There is a word that actually appears in the Old Testament 74 times. 71 of those times is in the book of Psalms. It's a word that Jewish scholars actually differ a little bit on what it means, but most of them agree that the general meaning of the word is to pause and rest. It's the word selah. How many of you have ever read a psalm and saw the word selah in that psalm and wondered perhaps what is that word? Why is it there? Here's one of my favorite places it appears. Psalm 4, verse 4. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. It means to pause and rest. To actually stop and rest in what you have just experienced. Now, I'm good at a lot of things in life, but one thing I am not good at is resting. I'm not good at it. I don't do it well, and I've had to learn how to do this. When I talk here about rest, I am not referring to stopping your activities. You can actually, I've learned, lay around the house for hours and not do anything but not be rested. Resting is not to be confused with lack of activity. Rest is actually a grace gift. It actually comes from God. It's something that God promises to those of us who will put him first in our life, who will honor him and follow him with everything in our heart, 
that God says we will experience something significant from him. We can experience rest. Let me circle back to Psalm 37, verse 7 we read earlier. Rest in the Lord. Notice that. The Bible here is actually suggesting that there is rest that comes in the Lord that's different from even just physical rest. And so for me in my life, what I've done over the last number of years, and I really have turned up the temperature in this, is that I have learned that I need to start my day with God, I need periodic pauses, and then at the end of my day, I actually need to meditate upon God before I move into rest. So for years, what would happen is I'd go to bed and my mind could not be shut off. I could not stop thinking. Anybody else ever suffer from that? But I find that as I turn my mind to God, as I meditate on Him, something powerful happens in me physically. And so a number of years ago, uh, I began to do what's called an examine at nighttime before bed. An examine is simply an ancient practice that Christians have used for years, which is an invitation to walk back through your day with God. It's actually a chance for you to go back and revisit what was in your day, where God was showing up, how God was coming to you, where God was wanting to give you a gift that maybe you did not even see, could not even receive. Maybe something in your day that was really difficult, really painful, really sad. Maybe something that made you angry. That at the end of your day, it is a chance for you to go back to those places and to revisit. Where is God meeting me? Where did God come to me as I meditate on my bed? So last summer, my wife and I and our youngest daughter and her husband, our son-in-law, actually traveled to Monterey, Mexico. And while we were there, we were working with orphanages with an organization called Back to Back. It's an organization you're going to hear more about in the coming, in the coming years. And um, Back to Back actually works in countries where state orphanages have children to about the age of 15 or so. Most of the kids have come from traumatic experiences. They have very little touch, very little hands-on experience with caregivers. They live with trauma that's created behavioral issues, developmental issues, learning issues, significant relational issues. And back-to-back goes in and creates uh, another orphanage model with a house parent that brings children into a Christian environment and gives them the kind of value, touch, and experience that they need. There's holistic development of these kids. And as we were there serving for a week in these orphanages, every night at the end of the night, before we would wrap up for the day, we would do a time of reflection. And they did what they called a picture of the day. They just simply asked us to think back to the day. And what was one picture that stands out from the day? Why is that so significant and how 
did that picture speak to you? Now, I had been doing my examines already, so I was already in this rhythm of looking back, but I really liked the way that Back to Back explained this and walked through this and actually modeled this for us. And so this morning, I've got it for you. If you take your handout this morning, you'll notice that there is an insert in your handout this morning that just simply says, finding the holy in the holidays. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to walk with me through this this morning as we close. We don't want to just talk about putting the holy in the holidays. We want to actually give some resources that will make it possible for you to do it. And this could be one of those great resources that between now and Christmas, in this season of Advent, where you can every single day invite God into your day and ask God, how am I experiencing you? How did you come to me today? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to walk through this together, so grab a pen. And we're going to do this thinking back to yesterday. So I'm going to ask all of us this morning to think back to yesterday. And we're going to take a moment right now to prayerfully think back on our day yesterday, inviting God to join us. Psalm 139 verse 5 says, You go before me and you follow me. God doesn't just go before us, God also follows us. So we're going to start with, a, with just a moment of pause and silence. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to invite you to take just a moment to prayerfully ask God to journey back with you on your day yesterday. Invite him into it. Ask him to walk with you as you reflect on your Saturday. Allow yourself to feel God's breath in you as you breathe in and breathe out. That's the life of God inside of you. Now with your your eyes closed and your mind fixed on God, journeying with you through your day. Where did you go yesterday? What did you do? Who did you see? Was there some special gift that you received yesterday? Perhaps a surprise text, an unusual greeting. Perhaps it was a thought that came to you. You can look back on and recognize God's presence in that thought. Perhaps it was something somebody said to you. 
Was there something particularly difficult yesterday in your day? Maybe it was a word or a reaction or a thought that came to you that surprised you, disappointed you. Perhaps it's something that happened relationally with somebody. Now, of your day yesterday, what one experience comes to mind that stands out from all the others as you think back on yesterday? Don't overthink it. Just which one surfaces to the top of your thoughts? That is likely your picture of the day. So I want you right now to take a moment. I want you to write that down briefly. Where it says my picture of the day. Just briefly describe what it was. Was it an event? Was it a moment? Was it an experience? Was it a thought? What happened yesterday that stands out as a picture that described your day yesterday? Take just a moment and briefly describe it in the the box provided for you. Sometime throughout your day today, what I'd like you to do is take time to think about these questions for prayerful reflection. Why did that particular picture stand out? What impacted me most? And then what did I learn about myself, about God, maybe about another person? from that picture. And then close your time by simply offering back to God your day, inviting his presence to be with you again tomorrow and throughout all the holidays. Because the Bible says in Matthew 123, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is God with you. He wants to walk with you. Every part of your day. So invite him in. Give him that opportunity. Stand with me this morning and uh, take that resource and reproduce it if you'd like. But I would encourage you to just begin to practice reflecting so that you can learn how to rest in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for your presence this morning. We know, God, that we will not and cannot keep the holy in the holidays without us being purposeful and intentional. So I pray that you'll help us to move forward, God, with resources and with ways that you have provided for us. Perhaps for some of us here, it's just getting a good devotional that actually can help us start our day. Perhaps it's going to version and downloading one of, the, one of the resources, one of the readings and devotionals there. God, there are so many tools that are available to us. And my prayer is that all of us 
would be thinking throughout the holidays about ways that we can give you room in our lives. Thank you, God, for this innkeeper who actually made room for the Savior of the world. May we do the same in our lives this holiday season, we pray. And as we move throughout Advent, help us to wait with joyful expectation and anticipation for the arrival of Jesus Christ here to this earth with the promise that he is coming again. We thank you for it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.